Hi, my name is Alicia Soret of So Retro Straps, and this is what my business sounds like. This pattern tends to bunch. So I have to like sew it a different way. Hello innovators, creators, and friends I'm yet to meet. Welcome to the first episode of Drinking on the Job podcast. My name is Adam Salgett, and I'm the sole proprietor of Push Productions, right here. And I am a digital content creator. I specialize in videography, photography, and you guessed it, podcasting. As you heard in our intro, my guest today is Alicia Soret yep. of Soul Retro Straps. Thank you so much for having me come by your studio here in the heart of Detroit. Yes, thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about this building just real quick. We oh. took a tour before we started the podcast and it's quite unique. How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> the, my studio is housed inside the Russell Industrial Center, which was formerly known as Murray Body Company. Um, they used to, used to, I think it was the third largest body stamping plant in the city. I'm not sure how long it's been the Russell Industrial Center, right. but maybe 20, 30 years or so, but it houses um, artists, businesses, photographers, painters, all kinds of entrepreneurs. We have lawyers down the, down the hall. Um, Pretty eclectic uh, mix then. Yes, there's quite the mix here. There's recording yeah. studios here, there's videographers. There's always something new to see when you're walking around the complex. So it's, it's a very unique group of people. It's a really great community to be a part of. That's awesome. And I, the, the building here is just outstanding. And I took a lot of photos. I'll probably share a few of those while actually I can guarantee they've probably been up while she. <laughs> so if you're watching the video, instead of just listening to the podcast, you'll get a chance to see them. I explained the meaning of the name of this podcast in an introductory episode. So if you have the opportunity and you're kind of wondering what's this all about, drinking on the job, a look into the entrepreneur life, well, I explain it in episode 000. So go back, give it a listen, and give you a little more context. Um, but that being said, Alicia, what did you make for us to drink today? Well, I am not the drinker myself. It's been a while. So I decided to go a little, um, a little crazy and creative with my beverage. Uh, I went to Whole Foods. So I bougied it up over at Whole Foods in uh, Midtown, Detroit, if anyone knows. Um, there's only one Whole Foods in Detroit. That's the one. That's the one. So I picked up some delicious fresh squeezed orange juice and some grapefruit seltzer water and this red wine called Sweet Jam. And then I added fresh raspberries and blackberries. So this is the Soul Retro cocktail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this sounds good. I'm not going to, I almost got some white claws and just sissied out, but I was, I decided to go, I said, we'll just wing it. Well, Let's give it a taste here. Okay. Let's see. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> mm. I will say that um, it's very light. It's very tasty. And uh, in my mid-20s, when 
I was, you know, socially drinking eight days a week. It was, <laughs> I would drink about anything you put in front of me. IPA, shot, hard liquor, whatever, whatever it was. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was just, it was casual. It was fun. And I didn't have much of a, I didn't have much of a picky palate, I guess you could say. No, I don't know the last time I drank. <laughs> so I told my fans online, if I'm drinking tonight, there's no telling um, how crooked my <laughs> stitches are going to be later tonight on whatever it is I end up sewing. <laughs> well, we're just having the one because I got to drive home. Yes. And it's all part of the game here, but it's, it's meant for fun. It's also meant to share a little bit. We're adults. <laughs> we're business owners. Right. We can have a beverage if we want to. We, um, you mentioned that you don't drink much anymore. Mm -hmm. My wife basically seemingly been pregnant for the last six years of her life with three kids. So uh, I have honestly limited just how much I drink. Well, let's give a cheers to our sponsor, yes. who I know you know, the Great Lakes Market. Great Lakes Market, go Brandon. The Great Lakes Market celebrates the turn of the seasons with four events across the Great Lakes Bay region. Come explore the creations of art, food, crafts that make the Mitten State unique. Part architecture salvage hunt, part maker center, part culinary adventure, the Great Lakes Market has something for everyone. You can pursue locally made jewelry, arts, crafts, clothing, flowers, and food, and learn from those who craft the pieces we love. And that's exactly how I met you, Alicia. It's the market's goal to foster and embrace the talent that resides in our communities and reach out in a refreshed way to showcase them and showcase what makes the Mitten State so awesome. So the Great Lakes Market is coming up. The first one is uh, May 15th and 16th in Essexville, Michigan. Just take the opportunity to look them up on Facebook, Instagram, look for the Great Lakes Market. They'll have links to his website where you can see all of the upcoming events. He has four coming up throughout this year. And I say he because Brandon, as you mentioned, is the director, the market master. So he's a really great guy. He owns a shop in Bay City and he is eventually gonna be a guest here on Drinking on the Job. Regent, what? <laughs> Uh, and you can find his website at thegreatlakesmarket.com. Greatlakesmarket.com. Awesome. The, the Great Lakes the, Market. The, the Great Lakes. <laughs> All right. The one and only. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can support me on my Patreon page. And keep in mind that 2.6% of all of my Patreon contributions are going to be donated back to the Charcot Marie Tooth Awareness Fund. And again, if you're interested why that fund is important to me, Check out the episode 000. I talk about it in there. So, Alicia, let's get started at the beginning. Okay. Alicia, tell me a little bit about yourself. Were you one of those kids that, you know, ran a lemonade stand, put all the money away? You knew you wanted to be a business owner. You knew you wanted to be in charge. You'd wanted to do it your way. Or maybe... Did you have a first job that you just hated and you were like, you know, screw this. I cannot work for anyone. I'm not going to do it. I need to work for me. What, what, what kind of got you into that entrepreneur bug? Let's start in the beginning. It's kind of all of the above. Uh, I was the bossy kid when I was little, you know, hand on the hips kind of thing. Um, I was raised as an only child. My, both of my sisters, older sisters, were way older than me. So I was always with my parents. Um, my parents owned a Chevrolet dealership in uh, just outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan. So I was always with them, always watching them run their business, always seeing um, the fruits of their labor. Um, so that was ingrained totally in my blood. Um, I did have lemonade stands. 
I probably didn't save the money. I probably spent it right away. Uh, <laughs> you turned it back into more profit. I'm though. sure <laughs> I bought very, yeah, and uh, made good investments. Um, <laughs> well, you're about the age of my sister, so maybe it was like subscriptions to Teen Bop or something like oh, that. Oh, Lord. I don't know what I did with it. I probably, I probably used it for like my, my Columbia house. That I never, that. I, we never paid for that, so it doesn't matter. That no, they were like that a, was a pe penny. It was yeah. a penny for like 12 cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah, that I didn't matter. To, I did that a couple it times. It was completely irrelevant. <laughs> um, so that was what I grew up with. My parents decided they were sick of the cold and the snow, and they packed it all up, moved to Florida. So I spent the first seven or eight years of my life in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in southwestern Michigan. And then um, we moved to Naples, Florida, where after we sold the dealership, my parents opened up oil changes. We had Jiffy Lubes in the area. So again, we went from, I went from seeing my parents run the dealership to running oil changes. And what happens when your parents own a business and you're old enough, you get to work for them. Yep. So my summers were spent, unless I, I was forced to play tennis, which <laughs> sounds so snotty. I could either play tennis or work. And I said, I'll work. So I would work all summer long. I'd open and close take care of the customers, write up the customers, do all the cash outs, do all the money counting. And I represented my family, so. So you learned a lot of the ins and outs of a business at a pretty young age. Very early, how to yeah. talk to people, how to, I don't wanna say how to schmooze the customer, but oh. you have to know how to communicate with people. You have to be able to read them. Um, that's both inherent and I think a learned technique. Um, when I was younger, I was not that good at, at speaking to people and, um, drawing them in and talking about my product, but you know, as I got older and way fast forward to doing my markets, people would always, as they're handing me their credit card, like be like, you are such a good salesperson. I can't believe I'm buying these right now. And I'm like, my dad was a car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't help it. It comes yeah. naturally. Um, so that's, it's pretty much something I've worked on my entire life. I've always known I didn't want to work for somebody else but I've never had plans to start businesses. They've always just evolved from, you know, our first company with me and my husband and, and me have um, a graphic design and printing business called Dolly Decals, which we still operate, yep. which I still maintain the customer service and the design and the, the graphics and it's pretty hectic. Um, so we've been running that for almost 15 years now. Oh, you've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. You know, we learned, he and I learned early on the importance of getting back to people right away. In the early days of Etsy, Dave and I had started Dolly Decals. We started listing our decals online. They started selling like crazy and we found that people wanted customs. They wanted custom quotes, custom monograms, custom everything. And we learned very quickly that if we didn't answer somebody's email or message right away, they were gonna go somewhere else. So if we ever went to lunch, we would take, this is before smartphones. Right, I was gonna <laughs> say, nowadays. Way before smartphones, we bought this little, very crude, very bulky nowadays uh, netbook that we would take with us and like connect to the Wi-Fi wherever we were having lunch. And I'd be like, oh no, there's another, I gotta answer this person real quick, <laughs> you know, in between eating salad and whatever. So yeah. that's, that hasn't changed. So as my customers know, um, I am always around all the time unless I'm sleeping or unless I literally put my phone across the room. So sometimes Dave calls it, um, I'm going dark, like I'll literally just, <laughs> I'll put my phone like, okay, I'm radio silence, like I'm out, I'm out for right now. And I put my phone over there, I turn on my podcast and I either sew, I sew or I cut material. 
Gotcha. So that doesn't answer. Does that answer your question? Well, it does. It's it a lot doesn't. of evolving. It's a, it's a lot of, you know, how you got started. And I didn't, yeah. And I didn't want to work for anybody else. You didn't want to work for anybody else. No. I mean, so when you met Dave and you guys started that business, I mean, that was the start of you finding your own way, right? Pretty much, yeah, because I was a teacher. I taught high school. I taught high school. He was in web development and systems building, um, all IT stuff. Yep. And with Etsy, I knew about Etsy. He didn't. He knew about building websites. So I started listing products. He taught me graphic design. He taught me Adobe Illustrator. I ran with it. We, we spent all of our money on this little vinyl cutter and just went to town. Like when we start stuff, we go in full, like, <laughs> like, like we dive in head first. Same with this. So that's the point. I, the, starting a business was never a plan. Right. It's always evolved from, hey, we should make decals. Hey, we could make stickers for our motorcycles. Hey, we could, which is what we did. Yeah. Um, and that turned into a business. This was, I can't find a strap long enough to wear crossbody. So I paid $100 for that one over there on the shelf. I keep it there as a memory. It was $110. I wanted a second one. I didn't want to pay another $110 for it. And I didn't really like it. So I examined it and I was like, I could make this. I could probably make this. Okay. So then Dave jokes that he came home one day and there's stacks of webbing and stacks of <laughs> ribbon and then there's some leather and there's some buckles and I don't know what a rivet is. I don't know how to cut leather. I don't, I don't know how to make things adjustable. Are you kidding me? But I figured it out. And he's like, what are you going to do with all this stuff? And I said, oh, I'm going to sell it. I'll just make an Etsy shop just like we've always done when we wanted to do things. So I started an Etsy shop, and that was, I think, about three years ago. I was going to ask, yeah, how long? So the idea of straps stemmed from the need. Mm -hmm. You didn't, you were like, I, I could probably make this, mm -hmm. and I can do it for a, a cheaper than what I'm seeing sold mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you this, what, why did you have that confidence? Huh? What was the confidence behind um, I can sew this. Like, who taught you to sew? How'd you learn to sew? Like, what's the idea there? I mean, my mom. <laughs> your mother. My mother, um, who you met, but I don't expect you to remember her. No, I do. I, I do, yeah. I remember meeting her at the, uh, the Uptown yep. Market. Yep. So mom taught me how to sew. And the reason why she taught me how to sew is when I was in high school, I would wear the really wide pants, the very wide-legged Jankos. Yep. And I thought it... <laughs> Everyone makes fun of me when I tell this story, but I thought it was great. I always wanted to make them wider, so like they weren't big enough. I wanted to be more bell-bottomy and not so like tree trunkish. So okay. I would take old jeans that I didn't wear anymore, cut triangles, and I'm like, Mom, I need you to sew this triangle into my jeans and make it bigger. And she's like, I don't support this. I'm going to teach you how to sew, and then you can do whatever you want. Right. So that was in high school, taught me how to sew. Um, and I had a lots of, lots of pairs of very wide-legged pants with fur. They were fur on the bottom, <laughs> fur inserts. They were ridiculous. She taught me how to sew. Um, I'm going to ask right now, if you have any of those photos, I'd be happy to share them and I, put them up on the video. I have some. <laughs> okay. I actually, yeah, I actually have some with a Bay City resident. Um, he's the grandson of the Rowleys. The Rowleys. The Rowley sound familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Paul and Peggy Rowley. Okay. So Brandon actually used to work with them. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there's a funny picture because they were actually business partners with my parents with the oil changes because Rowley oh. was like a tire. Rowley tire. Yeah. Yep. Rowley tire. And then they were also an oil distributor. Oh, okay. So I guess we bought our oil from them and 
they would come down to Naples in the wintertime, and that's how I met Daniel, Dan. Yeah. And there's this like famous picture of Dan and me with these pants on, and that's, I'm just so unhappy. It's such because, a small world. I know. <laughs> and you're so unhappy. Sorry, I oh, was 15. You know, no one's happy when they're 15. <laughs> yeah, that's just hanging out with true. my parents and their friends and whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, did you continue to sew things after the jeans and then onto the straps? Did you continue to make? Mm, yes. So I made key fobs, which are like keychains, kind of yep. like the one that you have. Yep. Um, I would make those. Uh, it was essentially the same process, but just more of like a wristlet style. That was just for fun. Um, I would make baby blankets uh -huh. because I have a baby blanket that was made for me when I was born. And my mom used to redo the satin edging mm. every few years because it would, you know, it doesn't yeah. last very long. And um, so I started making blankets because I thought everybody should have a baby blanket like mine. So I would make them and give them away. And that there's, I have a hoarding problem with fabric <laughs> and that will tie into the mask making if we get into that. We'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, no, so I'm just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, use, that reminds me of my sister. She's she's got she's a little bit more of a yarn hoarder. Okay. Because she knits. Yep. Um, but she has just skeins and skeins of yarn and some stacks of fabric that Boxes. she's like someday. Someday you someday. never know. I, you know it was too pretty to make a blanket out of, but I wasn't gonna get rid of it. Right. Yeah. So it might come in handy. What were some of the biggest challenges in starting your first business, the decal? And also, quick, do you happen to remember the first decal you made? Yes. Okay. Well, the first decal we sold on Etsy was this 22-inch floral circular design, and I'll send you a picture of it if you want to put it. Yep. Um, it was our first, like, it was the first item that we sold, and we were just so excited about it. <sighs> the goal back then was $100 a day. Um, <laughs> and then the first decal we made, because Dave and I rode sport bikes, we wanted to make his bike look like a race bike. And we could never find the decals that he wanted for his bike to look like a race bike. So we were like, all right, well, we borrowed a friend's cutter that was like this 12, it was like a 15-inch cutter. It was tiny. It was a hobby cutter for model airplanes. Yeah. He got it working. The thing ran day and night just making little stickers. And like, you, sometimes on a quiet night, I can still hear the sound of that thing. <laughs> It's <laughs> just clinking. It would just clink as it went back and forth. So it was a little decal. Um, I mean, we had decals with our names on it. I'm yeah. sure it was the website, the forum that we were a part of. Cool. Back in the forum days. You mentioned in there your goal in the beginning was $100 a day. Talk yes. about those struggles to, to get the $100 a day first and then yes. grow from there. Well, the hardest thing. Let's see. The hardest thing with the business was as we began to grow. I'm going back to your previous question. Yeah. Um, we didn't want anyone to know it was the two of us working out of a living room. So we set up a phone with extensions mm -hmm. and he would be across the room and somebody would call and I'd say, oh, let me get you, let me get you over to Dave and shipping. Hang on. Hey, <laughs> there's a lady on the phone who wants to know about her order. And then, you know, he would just pick it up and it, it created this, it created this illusion that we were a much bigger company. Right. Um, so the struggle of that was maintaining that never having run a business before like that and learning the ropes, um, that was fun. But the $100 a day thing, because I was a teacher, mm -hmm. teachers made roughly $100 a day when I was teaching. It was like substitutes made around $120. That was, that was like, that was our kind of 
baseline or target right. was that. And that was like our goal. The first, the first real goal was if we sell some stickers tonight, will it pay for dinner? And it was so cool. And we would go out riding with our friends on yeah. like bike nights or whatever. And we'd, you know, we'd pass out stickers and make them some custom stickers. And we'd pay for them. We'd be like, dude, dinner's paid right. for. This is amazing. So that was exciting. Yeah. Um, and then $100 a day. And as it kept growing, that's the other challenge was deciding when to leave our real jobs and focus all of our attention on this new crazy growing thing, which is what's happening with this right now too. I mean, let me, uh, that's <laughs> a little bit, happened. that delves a little bit more into our future portion. So mm -hmm. remind me to ask you about that because I think that's a really good thing to talk about. I'm in that similar kind of position. I know lots of entrepreneurs that are, in that same space. So mm -hmm. uh, we're going to tease that for a little bit later. Talk a little bit about how So Retro Straps blew up, how it got bigger, how you have a stack of papers behind you right now that's for like 100 custom orders. Um, talk, talk a little bit about what that process was like over the last three years, getting going, doing shops, then moving into more online orders, and then kind of the explosion last year. Okay. So... When I first started making straps, I had an Etsy shop, and one sale every once in a while was a big deal, and it was cool. Um, my very first market that I did, official market, was with my mom up in Madison, Wisconsin. So I flew up to Wisconsin. It was an excuse to go spend time with my mom and to do this little one evening. It would, I wouldn't even, I'm not talking trash about the small markets. It was like a one evening farmer's market that I would not entertain to do anymore because the, you spend two hours setting up, two hours breaking down, and you sell for four hours, and then you spend all day essentially trying to do that. Anyway, yeah, tiny little market mom was doing. It was, um, it was a really good intro to what this is really going to be like if I'm going to take it a step further. Yep. So I flew in. Um, I had actually met a customer on Instagram who bought a guitar strap from me who lived in Waukesha, I think, which, and I landed in Milwaukee. So I landed in Milwaukee and I drove to Madison and Waukesha is right in between. Okay. So we made this, I, at the time I thought it was a big PR thing, but it really wasn't. <laughs> um, I was like, it'd be so cool if I could hand deliver this guitar strap to her and it's gonna be awesome. And then like, that could be like my first big customer that we're gonna showcase. And then I did the show. Um, that was when I learned that my skills were not as good as they should be with interacting and talking to people. So that was a challenge. That was something that I've gotten better at. So, because markets are markets are a unique beast in that way. People. Yes, you do. I, I, I've been around uh, many of the Great Lakes markets and seen different makers. And uh, generally speaking, those that are up on their feet, interacting with customers, are doing more sales than those that are in their. They're happier. They're, they're talking. Chair. They're selling their stuff. They love what they do. Yep. Uh, if they're sitting in their chair reading, doing a crossword puzzle, or grumpy, or complaining, yeah. you don't want to. Yeah. yeah. We'll just keep walking. I don't want to talk to that. So guy. that's something you learned quick. Yeah. Don't play on your phone. <laughs> don't play on your phone. Don't be grumpy. Be happy. Everything's great. Living the dream. <laughs> um, so the, my sales initially were, I started doing more markets. The next, I did a couple small markets in that time. And then Dave and I were like, we should look at some bigger shows. And a friend suggested this market, um, called Christmas Made in the South. Christmas Made in the South is this giant, um, five or six 
location series of markets that happens. It's a giant craft show. It's like, it's picture a Christmas craft show. Yeah. In a convention center. Oh. Christmas music, plaid music, or plaid, plaid things, Christmas Buffalo ornaments. Plaid everywhere. Yeah, oh, everywhere. <laughs> you know, rocking horses and Santa Clauses, all that stuff. Um, and then me. <laughs> so I decided to apply late and they accepted me because I was this brand new thing coming into their into their craft show and they were like, we'd love to have you. And then I was like, okay, now I need to make stuff for it. I think I had 80, 75 straps made for this. I don't even know, 50 straps made. I thought it was good. Yeah. I sold out on the first day. <laughs> and you have two more days And left. I had two more days. So the, Christmas, the very first Christmas Made in the South show that I did was very eye-opening and what I needed to do. And it really helped us streamline my production. So I actually, Dave came with me the next two days. He did all the selling and talking to people. And I literally sat in the corner with my sewing machine just cranking out product. And it was a, it was a sleepless few nights. And then at the end, we were like, I can't believe we just did that. Right. <laughs> so then it became, what other shows do you have? Christmas Bay in the South. So I drove to Char I did Charleston was their second. And I, he said, we have an opening in Charleston, which is next weekend, if you want to do that. And I said, yes. Yeah. And I panicked. And then I called my mom. And I said, mom, I just confirmed. Uh, I just what's it called, committed yep. to the Charleston Made in the South show. I need you to come down and help me sew. <laughs> so <laughs> this was like a Monday. She flew down on Tuesday. <laughs> we spent the next, we think we spent Tuesday, Wednesday sewing. We drove up Thursday for setup and repeat. And we sewed the entire time in the hotel and on site. We had two sewing machines set up at the show and just cranked them out. So that really, that was really eye-opening for me to... No more small shows. No more one-day farmers markets, unless you know they were tried and true and just good markets for me. Um, and Dave had amped up my website. So for that fir very first market that I told you about, Dave yep. had created my strap builder um, in literally like six hours <laughs> because he knew I was flying to Wisconsin to do this event, and he wanted me to have a functioning website with yeah. a custom strap builder by the time I set up for the show. Yeah, <laughs> so, so that way they'd have something to check out, yep, something to go to, something yep. to go find I was like, you. oh yeah, here's my card. We're a yep. big deal, you know? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, buy my straps. Yeah, so he, he built the builder for me and I, again, made, made, us, made me look big time and online sales slowly trickled in. It wasn't until last fall where the online sales, well, that's not true. A year ago, online sales uh, blew up because of mask making. Mask making. And then last fall, straps all of a sudden became like everybody had to have them. I started getting shared in different Facebook groups, different handbag groups, and um, there it must have been. You know, it was word of mouth. So they shared. Um, someone shared a picture of their purse with one of my straps, and they told their friends, and they told their friends, and then they posted about it, and then they shared their pictures, and blew up. Here we are. This sounds like a great time to take a quick break and then we'll step into uh, your present. Great. Okay, let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> present. 
And rewind a little bit to a year ago first. Okay. Because a year ago, the world changed. COVID-19 changed the world, period. I don't think there's much arguing about it. Wherever you stand on any issue of it, it changed the world. So a year ago, masks became much more prevalent and popular and necessary in the United States. All that scrap fabric you had lying around must come in handy, huh? Sure did. Tell me about that experience. One year ago, April 1st, so almost, I don't know if we want to share dates on here, today's April 6th for reference. One year ago, one year and one week ago, roughly, I decided to make a mask out of some fabric that I had here. I was like, well, no one's here. This place is a ghost town. Dave's at home. Like, we're going to die if we go out in public. <laughs> no, I was going to kill right? him. Yeah, I was going to kill him if I had to watch. I don't, I don't even know what we were watching. It's a horrible TV. Uh, I was, you were going to end up a Dateline episode? Is that yes. What <laughs> <laughs> there would have been no mystery. Um, yeah, I, I was like, I'm going to the Russell. I'm going to my studio. I don't want to be on this couch in this room another second. So I came in here, started looking up different mask patterns and trying to experiment. And I happened to have some elastic from one of my vendors because I had messaged her previously and I said, hey, if you have any elastic, can you just send me some? Like, whatever, I don't know, like 10 feet, you know, just enough for me to make some masks. She sent me a whole bundle, like, like thousands of feet, <laughs> literally. And I'm like, I'm okay, thank you. That <laughs> was right. not necessary. Uh, anyway. It came in handy. It came in handy. So um, I made some masks and I posted on Instagram and I said something like, if you guys want a mask, whatever, I don't really know what I'm doing, but 10 bucks and you can Venmo me and I'll ship it to you for free. I don't care. Um, the request blew up on Instagram and Dave, again, to the rescue, made me a listing on my website yep. for masks. And he's like, at least you're not going to have to deal with like, because I was printing out invoices from PayPal and writing people's addresses down from Venmo and it was totally disorganized. And he created the listing and then I had invoices to go off of and um, I got pretty good at the pattern that I had created yep. and he's like, let's just do a sponsored post. Let's see what happens. Right, and I'm like, push. I don't, whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't, whatever, whatever you want, like I don't care, leave me alone. And he did a sponsored ad. <laughs> it blew up. <laughs> it blew up. Um, I don't, I should have looked at the numbers before we did this. Right. It was, I think, Dave, if you're there, look up the number of masks sold on the first day. <laughs> uh, text me. Um, it was thousands of masks sold. Within the first day? I think the first day. Like order. It was every time I refreshed my email, it was another order, another order, another order. Oh, Nonstop. And I started freaking out because I'm like, you're not going to sew. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> who, like my mom, like my mom over here, like who, who's going to sew? Um, Dave started sewing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam. he's the one who wanted to boost it. Uh, he, exactly. <laughs> boost it was our word. That was our phrase. My friend, Scott, we taught him how to sew. I said, Scott, have you seen a sewing machine ever in your life? And he said, yes. And I said, great, you qualify. <laughs> Have a seat. Have you seen what that was the qualification? <laughs> just seeing one? Do you know what a sewing machine is? Yes. Great. Excellent. You're hired. the general concept of what this does because that's about all I have to care <laughs> the about. The needle goes up and down. <laughs> awesome. Have a seat. Uh, so every time I would fall over from anxiety on 
the sales that were coming in, Scott would go, boost it. <laughs> and then Dave from wherever he was printing shipping labels, yeah. boost it. And then they would go and throw another whatever, how much money at the Facebook ad. And it just kept going and going. And we hired a friend of mine who I went to high school with in Naples. Um, we had him come in. He did a little video clip for us. Um, Carrie Longchamps. Uh, he came in and did a video for us and we boosted it again. And so now even, even to this day when Scott said, here's anything about Facebook marketing, he's like, boost it. <laughs> so when you said that, you just gave me like a panic attack. <laughs> just I didn't just mean so to. you know. I, didn't mean to. I was like, oh my God, no, don't boost it. Yeah. So that, um, I had Scott sewing, I had Dave sewing, I had my friend Megan sewing, her mom sewed. We had sewing stations set up. Um, Ivan in Florida, who was running our printing company, because we were we were stuck up here and he was stuck in Florida, he went to our house and sent me um, boxes of all of my baby blanket fabric. Cue the baby blanket fabric. <laughs> um, tons and tons of cotton material that I had. Um, all that elastic came in handy. Yep. Um, I bought a power cutter, best best uh, investment ever um, for cutting fabric. So we weren't, yep. you know, oh my Lord. Um, so Scott would cut fabric all day long and elastic and I would, everyone had their, everybody was in a different part of the room and all of us were in here and we were safe and we would get takeout every day and we would come in as early as we wanted and stay as late as we wanted and we just worked and worked and worked cranking out masks. And every day Dave would go to the post office with buckets of packages yeah like thank goodness i had just ordered a ton of shipping um mailers right that i was like yeah, oh, that i should get some have, more right. maybe i should have them for the straps i had everything had, i needed yeah, yeah i happened awesome. i happened to have everything i needed i had business cards i had mailers um we set up a shipping system there's a tip right there for entrepreneurs if they're listening to this yes you know, be prepared it you is know. not just making your stuff it is the business aspect of it you have to have a brand, you have to have a logo, you have to be consistent. If you don't believe in paying extra for the vector version of your logo, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you need to have that. From a guy who has to use those for video yes. and other elements. Yeah. Yes, not just a PNG. I need the AI, I need yeah. the PDF. Like I need, yeah. so everybody should have all of the versions of their artwork at all times. Like you pay the, you pay the designer and that's gotcha. it, then it's yours. Um, what else? Um, business cards, branding, um, have your stuff lined up. Like if it wasn't for having my stuff together for, right. I, we would not have, if I didn't have the packaging, if I didn't have the, 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 the label printer, if I didn't have the shipping software, the business cards, like the, the fabric, the elastic, if I didn't hoard sewing machines, <laughs> <laughs> I think I had six sewing machines. Oh, we were over, oh. And to add to that, we were overnighting packages to my mom with bundles of orders. So we would we would send my mom a stack of invoices. Dave would Dave would separate everything. He, every invoice would be stacked up with orders yep. corresponding to that order, like fabric, yep. with elastic already cut, a shipping label, a business card, and a sticker, and mailers. So every three, four days, Dave was putting together these care packages for my mom. FedExing them to Madison, she was getting them the next day. All of her neighbor friends were coming over and she was distributing orders Just, to her neighbors. They were all making them that day, bringing them back to her. She would package them up and take them to the post office. And ship them. It wasn't, yeah, like it wasn't just here. It was like, it was a full fledged 
Surrette yeah. <laughs> effort <laughs> to get this done. So That's awesome. But at some point you had to make a decision to get back to straps, right? I mean, uh, you weren't going to be able to keep that process up of, you know, having two or three more sewers in this room and then even having your mom sew some and, and distribute. So uh, I suppose at some point the mask order started to diminish and then you had to decide, you know, let's get back to straps. Yes. So... At some, at a certain point, I decided that you can get you can get face masks anywhere now. I need to focus more on my main product, which was straps, and it was really nice to go back to focusing on straps. Yeah. Um, and at sometime in the late summer, I had a customer reach out and make a comment that she had bought a strap for her purse, and she she's like, "Oh, I shared it in the such and such page," and I was like. I have no idea what that is, but thank you. That's awesome. Um, and I checked it out and I actually requested to join and I was just blown away by the instant, like instant awareness of so retro straps in this group. Like everybody wanted one. They wanted to know what matched their bags. They wanted to know what looked good with, you know, so it became my customer service went from, answering an email here and there to all I would do all day and all night was hold up my different strap patterns to different colored bags. Cause I have like 20 of them lined up on my shelves at home. Um, Oh, this would look beautiful with this color bag. I said, that's the one that I want. And they would go buy it. Um, so that was a really being available and accessible to my customers really changed the business. Yeah. So, and people see that, like people see when you pay attention to them and, you know, give them what they're asking for. But it's, there's also a really fine line on um, customer service and then just, I don't know how to describe it. Like you have to draw the line. Like overextending yourself? Yes. Yeah. You have to draw the line. You know, if I wake up at 3 a.m. and I see it, well, if I wake up at 4 a.m. and I see an email, <laughs> I'm already awake. Um, I have to not answer it right away. Right. So I have to I have to consciously turn off sometimes, and that's really difficult. Um, but yes, it, it when I saw the straps picking back up, it was um, I was blown away that that people were still spending money and like more than ever before. Awesome. Let's take a step towards the future. So tell me a little bit about what So Retro Straps is working on now. You got you're focusing on still straps, of course. Yes. But you've been creating things that are pretty common that go with straps. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that you mention it. Um, I used to sell bags that somebody else was making for me. Yeah. Um, as soon as those started picking up popularity, growing in popular, whatever, increasing. As soon as there was a greater demand for the bags, these leather bags, they were handmade, handcrafted in the US, uh, I quickly learned that my supplier could not keep up with the orders that I needed. And then I couldn't offer custom colors, I couldn't offer, um, I couldn't differentiate anything from what he was making. Right. Um, Dave and I made a conscious decision, and it took a while, it took a while too, um, to really transition to, should we just, should we, should we make these yeah, in-house? Yeah, Should we try to make these in-house? <laughs> Should, you know, we didn't know. I hemmed and hawed over buying an industrial sewing machine for 
a while. Right, but you mentioned to me. And now I me, don't know why. Yeah, you mentioned to me that you are super excited that you have one. Yeah, I don't know why I took that And that you're super that happy you started making bags. Yes, I love making bags. I love, love making them. The problem is there's only one of me. Um, <laughs> so, so, tell, so that being the case, there's only one of you making bags. There's one of me until Dave gets up here. Then there's two of us. And there's, there's still, there's, I mean, he's, he can actually, he made that blue bag for me that's on the table over there. Um, that was his bag for me. Very pretty. Um, Tell me uh, the so smart I've, business decision you've made. Yes. So I we learned that if you list something on the website that everybody wants, it's going to be gone the second somebody can buy it, um, which isn't fair to the people who can't be online right then or who didn't get the notification. We opted to list my bags as an auction-style format, and they're up for a few days. And the bidding ends every night at 9 p.m. Eastern on my website. And that gives everyone time to think about what they want. They can see the colors that are available. We try to list a new handful of bags every few days. Um, and all of my, and they're called FIGS, F-Y-G, which stands for you, girl. <laughs> um, so I call them figgies, my figgy bags. Your figgy bags. My figs. Oh, my God, I make some figgies tonight. Um, and... All of my figgies come with a complimentary... Here, let's show it off again. Yeah. I'll get a shot here. So I make all of the straps that go with my bags with matching leather ends that are cut from the same hide. So gotcha. all of my... Um, I feel like I'm on QVC right now. I <laughs> know, I like this whole handheld camera. <laughs> kind of unique perspective. I put huh? a big pocket on all of them. Sometimes I don't put handles on, and I'll put a snap closure on instead. They, yep. You can attach all of the, the straps right here to the inside with these big chunky grommets, and then I have a big pocket inside too. And they have, this, is, this has always been the perfect size for me, and I was always surprised that um, I could never find the right size. So when, um, when we stopped working with our previous maker, I knew that I wanted to keep the same size-ish, roughly. And I'm really glad that I did because it, they seem to work really well for a lot of people. Um, so I'm still making my straps, obviously. My straps are my, my, main, my main thing, and I love making the straps, and I love being creative, and I love putting new colors and fabrics together. But being able to take it one step further, and now I can create this really cool bag that you can use all of your straps right. with. Um, it's cool. Are you going to have to change a business name from Soul Retro Straps to Soul Retro Straps and Bags? No. Or, or, or what do you, what, from uh, someone who's in charge of all of that, what do you think about so it? So I haven't even told you this. <laughs> this is brand new. Um, the domain SoRetro.com became available earlier this year and Dave has been very carefully watching it and we snatched it up oh, nice. um, a week or two ago. So we waited for it to expire and it was up for bid on some domain auction website yep. and we got it. So now my technical company name is So Retro Studios, but now, which is fine, it's all encompassing. You yeah. know, my website is SoRetroStraps.com, yep. but now that we own SoRetro.com, I can literally, I could sell furniture if I wanted to. <laughs> I could, you know, I could have my t-shirts on there. SoRetro can apply to anything, and it's still my last name. That's so like, awesome. It was like a, life, a once in a lifetime opportunity 
to have that kind of domain and now we own it. And make that transition even smoother, right? Yes, and yep. less confusing to the customer, yep. which is obviously important. We're still as a so retro. Owner. My shirts still say so retro. Yep. Um, you know, it still applies. Just so retro straps is now just a part of so retro studios and so retro.com. So as we wrap up here today, I want to give you a chance to give our entrepreneurs who are listening and even just those who are creative creative types that maybe make things and have thought about starting a business. What's one piece of advice you would give an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur who's, you know, getting started? One piece? Just one piece of advice. Consistency is really important. Being consistent in what you do, um, being consistent in how you answer your customers, being consistent in your branding, in your appearance, in how you offer um, your products. Um, if you keep changing everything up, it's just going to make it confusing for a lot of people. So I think consistency is really, really important. Um, with that being said, the way that I manage my stuff right now in terms of my Facebook group, which is like where all the insider info happens is complete chaos, but <laughs> everybody loves it. Um, my branding is consistent though. My website's consistent. My processes are consistent. My, my coin placement on my straps, my packaging, everything is consistent. Like there's a consistent, there's no doubt when you look at one of my items that it's one of mine because it has, it's very consistently made. There's very little deviation. And that's, I think, important too with how you correspond with your customers. Consistency is important. It's key. Keyword. Keyword. Consistency. Yep. So that's what we're going to take away from your okay. tip. <laughs> All right. And I've got one more little question here that I didn't, um, I didn't give you ahead of time. Oh. Uh, so to end this, uh, finish this sentence. I love being an entrepreneur because. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> I love being an entrepreneur because I feel like I get to determine my own fate and destiny. Solid. I love that because there's so much truth behind it. If you stay consistent, you do your work, you control it. Yeah, you want you want more money, you want you want more free time, like you work harder, you work less, you you know, you don't sell as much. There's so many different things like you with the right things in place obviously, but you control the outcome. It's like the harder the harder I work, the luckier I get kind of thing. Yep. I'm a big advocate of that phrase. I like so it. I get to control my own, my own destiny and fate. The harder you work, the more you get. Very much like me and push, push productions. Yes. You want to get it, you push for it. Go get it. You're struggling, go get it, right? Yep. All right, well, let's cheers as we say goodbye. We finish our drinks up here. <laughs> hey. I'd like to thank Alicia so much for being a part of my very first episode of Drinking on the Job. And I appreciate everything that she shared with us, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Yay! <laughs> yes! <laughs>